And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 13 today, verses 1 through 13, mainly just verse 3 actually, but uh, we'll cover some of uh, verses 1 through 13. Romans chapter 4, here we go. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but trusts him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of, his, of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but also who walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Father, I thank you for uh, the example of Abraham. God, I praise you that you are the kind of God who justifies the ungodly. Lord, that in your great mercy and in the great sacrifice of your Son, that we might be declared righteous. Thank you. Father, help us to be people of faith. God, help us to understand and explore and dive into what it means to have faith. Father, I pray that your spirit would speak today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to understand what uh, Paul is doing in this passage, first of all, you got to understand how the people that he's writing to would have thought about Abraham, okay? So, so whoever the, the greatest hero you can imagine is, all right, that's the way these guys thought about Abraham, all right? So Abraham is like tops in, 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 the, in the way that they think of, you know, famous, great, historical, spiritual, national significance, okay, Abraham is that guy for the Jews, and, and really, if you, if, you, if you know much about Islam, he's kind of that way for Islam too, so, so just a, an incredibly important historical figure him. Abraham's the father of the Israelites, he's, he's kind of the, the, the national hero of, of Israel, if you will, um, and everybody agrees. Here, here's the really important part. Everybody agrees that Abraham's justified. Okay, so if you if you lined up the people that were that that, that Paul is talking to and say, hey, you, you know, is Abraham in heaven? Everybody's going to say yes. All right, uh, and, and and that they have good reason to. Um, I was thinking about this passage in Luke 16, uh, where Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Remember that? Uh, so there's a, a rich man, and then there's this beggar named Lazarus. He's sitting at, at the rich man's gate, and you know, lives his whole life there, begging for scraps, and they both die. 
okay? And, and the, the, the rich man, he, he goes to hell. Uh, he's in torment, he's in flames, he's in agony, and he looks across, and, and there is Abraham and Lazarus, okay? Sig- significant, Abraham and Lazarus, all right? It says in verse uh, 22 and 23, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, in, and in Hades, being in torment, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus by his side. All right, so even Jesus, you know, it's very clear that, you know, when, when you go to paradise, when you go to heaven, who's there? Well, Abraham's there, you know? And so, so this, this, everybody would have thought that, all right? And, and with good reason, all right? And so when, when Paul brings up Abraham, he's bringing up a guy that everybody knows is justified. Everybody knows has a right relationship with God and is in heaven as we speak, all right? And so now the question that Paul is posing is, how did Abraham get justified? Okay, so so Paul's making this great case for justification by faith in, in, in the grace or through faith in, in, in the grace and the substitutionary atonement of Christ. And so he's saying, all right, how did it work for Abraham? Now, let's go back to chapter three. Let me remind you of something. All right. This is what I call the engine. All right. This way I think of it. This is what I call the engine. So in chapter three, you've got verses 24 and 25 that are kind of the engine of salvation. Okay. By engine, I mean the power. How is it actually accomplished? All right, so you remember we looked at this a couple weeks ago. Verse 24 says, and are justified by his grace. Okay, how's anybody going to make it to heaven? Well, only by being justified. That means to be declared righteous by his grace, by God's grace as a gift through the, remember these important words, the redemption. Remember that? That's, that's a ransom. That's when, when, when Christ has paid for our release through his own sacrifice, okay, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, remember that word, an atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice that, that satisfies the wrath of God, okay, by his blood to be received by faith. All right, so that, that's what I would call the engine of salvation. The engine of salvation is that we are declared righteous by God through the redeeming, propitiatory sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So God puts forward Jesus. He pays for our sins. He lives a life that we could not live. That's how we're saved, all right? Now, the thing that we're looking at today is the transmission, all right? I don't know if this is going to make sense to anybody, but this is how it's working in my mind, all right? So, so you got the engine of salvation. How, how is it accomplished? By Jesus, right? By his redemption, by his sacrifice. But how is it connected to you? Before my daughter left for, for, me, for England, uh, a couple weeks before, she called me from Kansas. She was up working in Kansas, and she said, Dad, my, the car won't go. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, it won't go. You know, she said, it just, I, it, it won't do anything. I'm stuck by the side of the road. And, and, and so I began to ask some diagnostic questions. I said, all right, is the engine going? Yeah, the engine's fine. I said, well, rev the engine. You know, she read, no, it, it sounds perfect, Dad. You know, I said, well, what happens when you put it in drive? Nothing, okay? And so what happened, right? You probably know. The transmission went out on it. it it's just, it's gone. It's out, all right? And so, so even though you've got this engine that's powerful enough to make the car go, you know, 100 miles an hour, you, you're not going anywhere because it, the engine's not connected properly to the wheels, right? Okay, does that make sense? All right, and so, so what we have in Romans 3 is the engine of salvation. We, we, we've got Christ who, 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 who gives his life as a redeeming, propitiatory sacrifice on our behalf. That is how we are saved. That's how our salvation is accomplished. But then how are we joined to it? 
right? Because you could be in this room right now today, and even though Jesus Christ died on the cross, even though he was brutally tortured and shed his blood on your behalf, it can mean zero to you if you're not connected to it. You can be on your way to hell if you're not connected to Christ's sacrifice on your behalf. How are we connected? Well, we're connected by faith, all right? That's what Paul said in, in chapter 3. At the end of verse 25, he says, by his blood to be received by faith. How do we get it? We, we are connected to the work of Jesus by faith. Now, the question that Paul's answering is, was that true for Abraham? Was that true way back at the beginning in in Genesis? Was it true for Abraham? And he answers it by going to the scriptures, and absolutely it was true for Abraham, okay? He gives a couple options, you know? He says, was it true for Abraham by faith, or did did Abraham get it another way? Did he get it through his works? You know, did Abraham do a whole bunch of really good things, and God looked down upon him and said, dude, I am just so proud of you. You are so great, and and, and you do so many nice things. Come on in. You and me are good. Is that the way it happened? That's not the way it happened. Or was it through a religious ceremony? That's a whole circumcision thing, right? When I read that, were you thinking, this is going to be a horrible sermon? Because, you know, I don't want to hear about circumcision all morning long. You're not going to, okay? We're not going to mention very much of it. But basically what, what he's exploring there is, was it through this religious rite? Was it through this religious ceremony? Was it through the, the mark of the covenant uh, with, with, with Israel? Is, is that how Abraham was saved? And, and Paul is answering, no, no, that, that what those weren't, that, that's not the way that Abraham was connected to the engine of God's salvation, Abraham was connected by faith. Look at verse 3. Romans 4, 3 is maybe one of the most important verses in the, in the New Testament. Here it is. For what does the scripture say? It's a quote out of Genesis. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's the way it was for Abraham, and that's the way it will be, hopefully, for you and I. Okay, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, let's break that apart, okay? So what, what's Abraham do? He believes, all right? He believes. It's not a work. Abraham's accomplishing. No, no, no. God is the one who's doing something, and Abraham is the one who is believing, okay? God's the one who's doing something. Abraham is the one who's believing, In order to believe God, God had to basically say or promise or do something. So let's go back into Genesis. Let's let's explore the life of Abraham real quick. So go all the way back in your Bible, very first book in the Bible. We're going to start in Genesis 12. That's not where the quote is. The quote's from 15, but we'll get there. But let's start in in 12 because this is the beginning of of Abraham's kind of journey with God, all right? So in in Genesis chapter 12, uh, the Lord appears to Abraham. So Abraham's living in the land of Ur. Uh, He's got got a beauty queen for a wife. Uh, Sarah was uh, Miss Chaldea. Uh, growing, I mean, she's really beautiful. We, we know that. It says it over and over again, so the scripture's right. But anyway, beautiful wife. Uh, he's got family there. He's got a business, successful guy, living in his country. And God appears to him, or God reveals himself to him. God speaks to him. And here, here's what he says. He says in, in Genesis 12:1, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, all right? Now, clearly, Abraham hasn't done anything to earn any of this, like literally. I mean, just opens up in Genesis 12, and God says, hey, you, 
I'm going to bless you beyond measure. All right, that's the kind of God we serve. That's, that's the way it works, okay? So, so Abraham hadn't done anything to deserve this. He hadn't done, merited anything. God, God appears to Abraham, and, and he makes him these incredible promises. He makes him these incredible um, promises of what he's going to do in and through Abraham all the way to the ends of the earth. All right? And what does Abraham do? Abraham believes. He trusts that what God told him is true. He, he embraces it. He believes it. Okay? I think a pretty good definition of faith would be believing that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he says he will do. I think all sin, all sin comes about when we don't, when that, when that doesn't happen. When you don't believe that God is who he says he is or that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, sin happens every time. You're, you're, you're going to sin. You're, you're going to disobey him. You're not going to trust him. You're not going to treasure him. You're not going to love him. You're, you're, you're going you're to go after other things. Okay? And, and, and so faith is believing that God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he's going to do. Now, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit more about faith. I, wanted to, I feel like the, the purpose of today is to really kind of drill down on what, what is faith. I want that to be clear in your mind. So I've just given you a, maybe a mediocre definition. Uh, it's probably not a great one because it's mine. So read somebody. Read those theological guys that, the, uh, that those uh, Matt or uh, yeah, Bill and uh, Dan were talking about. They probably got great definitions of faith. But, but let's, let's look at the scriptures. How does Jesus describe faith? Okay, so let me give you some, some, some other things to round this out, okay? Um, first. So, first definition, <clears throat> faith believing that God is who he says he is. He'll do what he says he's going to do. Okay, here's number two. Faith is, is, and this is similar, taking Jesus at his word. Okay, taking God at his word. I get this from Matthew chapter 8. I went through the, the Gospels and looked for times when Jesus was impressed with people's faith. Okay, and so I've got four of them for you here, four or five. So, Matthew 8. Uh, this is about a centurion. He, he's got a servant that's paralyzed at home, suffering. And he comes and says, Jesus, will you help? Will you come heal him? And, and Jesus says, you bet. I'll come to your house. He's like, no, no, no. You don't need to come to my house. And, and here's what he says. Okay, this is in Matthew chapter 8, verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. You hear that? Only say the word. No, no, Jesus, no, you don't, you don't need to come to my house. I know you're busy, and you know I don't, you don't need to come to my house. Just say the word. If you just say the word, then it's, I, I, I have full confidence that, that my servant will be healed, and, and I'll go, and you go about your business. Only say the word, okay? And, and Jesus comes back in verse 10 and says, When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I say to you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Okay? So, so faith is taking Jesus at his word. And, and so when, you, when, you, when you're going through your Bible, you know, and, and, and you read, wow, Bob, Jesus said this is important. Okay, faith is you take him at his word. You're like, okay, yep, that's, that's important. That's, that's the most important thing. I'm going to go after that. When you go through the Bible and, and Jesus says, hey, don't do this. It's harmful. Okay, when you take him at his word, you're like, okay, that's all I needed. You know, I'm, I'm not going to. You know, I was, I was going to. My flesh wants to. I mean, I thought it was a good idea. But Jesus, you said it's not. I believe you. All right? So, so faith is taking Jesus at his word. Okay? Third, faith is resting. It's resting in God. All right? So uh, if you're still in Matthew 8, I tried to kind of condense these so it wouldn't be too hard to flip around. So, so keep going further on in that chapter. Verse 23, let me read you a little story here. When he got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. 
And they went and woke him, saying, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Okay, now this story is in all the Gospels, different little bit different variations. But basically, here's the thing. You know, Jesus has said, hey guys, get in the boat, we're going across. So they, they, they're following Jesus, they're in the boat with Jesus, and they're going across, and there's a terrible storm, and, and they think they're going to perish. And when they wake him up, he, he scolds them. He says, why, why weren't you? In other words, what he's saying is, you're with me, <laughs> okay? J- just rest. It's okay. If you're with me, it's okay. So, so faith is resting in God. It's, it's knowing what God has said and getting right in the middle of that and then being able to rest there. Even when the waves are coming over the boat and the wind's coming against you and the boat's rocking, being able to rest in God. Number four, faith sees the glory of God and values it, treasures it, okay? It's the whole concept that he is worth it, okay? That, that, that's a big part of faith, okay? So uh, Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, um, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, that's, that's right at the heart of faith, is, is believing that God is worth it. I mean, he's worth it. That I, I, I want him, and to have him is to have everything. And I trust him, and I, and I treasure him. He's everything I need. That, that, that's at the heart of faith, is that God is worth it. Uh, I, was, I was thinking about Genesis 15. We're going to be there in just a second. That's where this quote comes from. Um, where, where it says, and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. But the way that chapter starts is Abraham's really struggling with the fact that the promises haven't come about yet, okay? And, and, and in chapter 15, verse 1, uh, God appears to him and says this, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So he starts out the conversation by saying, Abraham, if you got me, that's all you need. Okay, that, that's faith. Faith is treasuring. It's saying God is worth it. I'm, an, I'm pursuing, seeking him because he is worth it. Okay? All these are very similar. This one's similar too, but I think it's a little different. Okay, last one. Faith is total confidence in God. All right? So let's go to Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 28. Uh, here you got a, a lady who has uh, had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Okay? Uh, she's, she's gone to all the physicians, spent all her money. She's no better. Okay. And and she hears about Jesus. She hears the reports about Christ, that, who he is, what he's done. And she's all in so much so that, that she says, if I can just touch him. Okay. So in verse, um, 27 says she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. I mean, she's got so much confidence in Jesus. And again, she's got a, a discharge of blood. She's unclean. In that society, you're unclean. If you have a discharge of blood, you're not supposed to touch anybody, okay? Because you make them unclean. Here's the cool thing about Jesus, though. This is a side, but it's really cool, okay? All right, so, so when the unclean touches Jesus, they get clean, right? When, when she touches everybody else, they get unclean. When she touches Jesus, she gets clean. I, I love that part, okay? But she's so convinced. She's so convinced. I just got to get to him. If I can just get to him, if I can just get to him, he's all I need. See, that's faith. All right? Faith is confidence. She's got to get to Jesus. She's got to rest in him. She's got to take him at his word. 
Just know he's worth it, okay? Those, those are, that's faith, all right? So, so faith is a, an inner conviction, all right, that has skin on it, okay? I, I don't know, hopefully you're, you probably went out here saying engine, transmission, faith with skin. What is this guy talking? This, this stuff just kind of makes sense in my mind, okay? So when I think of faith, I think about an inner conviction that's got skin on it, okay? And what I mean by it's got skin on it is it's an inner conviction that responds, all right? It responds. So, um, all right, if, if, we're, if we're at a ball game, you know, and we're watching them play ball, and uh, you're eating your sunflower seeds, you're talking to your friend, and, and, I, and I yell, Doc, the ball's coming for your head, you know? Okay, if, if you have an inner conviction that my word is true and that you can trust me, then you're going to do what? You're going to duck, right? You're going to, right? I mean, there's going to be a response. There's going to be skin on your inner conviction, all right? And, and, and so the Bible says, faith is an inner conviction. It's not a work, okay? It's, it's depending on the work of another, but, but faith responds, all right? So in James, if you go to the book of James, it's right after Hebrews in your Bible, okay? So if you go to the book of James, it's interesting. James uses the same verse that Paul uses, all right? So Paul's using the, Genesis 15 uh, in, in, in Romans 4. Paul's using it to say, look, Abraham is justified by no works of his own, completely by his faith, all right? James takes the same verse out of Genesis and out of Romans, and listen how he uses it. Verse 22 of James 2, you see that faith, uh, no, verse 21, start in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? What? A lot of people have really struggled with James because of that right there. They, they trip, and they fall, and they puke, and get upset. Don't. There's no need to, okay? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith, faith was active along with his works, okay? Inner conviction that had skin on it, okay? And faith was completed by his works, okay? It was the natural process. It was a natural outgrowth. It was a natural result of, of, of faith is it that, that Abraham would, would, would live out his life in this way. And the scripture was fulfilled, here's the same verse, that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay, so are are James and Paul in contrast here? I don't believe so at all, okay? I don't believe so at all. In fact, I think Paul said what James just said, he just said that earlier. Do you remember about three weeks ago in Romans chapter two when, when we looked at this verse? Uh, 2 6, he, God, will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well doing seek for glory, honor, and immortality. He will give eternal life. Okay, do you remember when we unpacked that? We were like, okay, what, what, is, what is that saying? Is that saying God's going to, you know, all right, you had 25 good things and only 20, 20 bad things, so you get to come into heaven? No, not at all. That's completely against everything else he's saying. Remember uh, Romans 3 20, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified, okay? No, but Paul is saying that if you have genuine faith, it's going to result in works, right? Your inner conviction will have skin on it. And it will result in a, a life of, 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 of obedience to God. And that will be the evidence of your salvation. Well, James is saying the same thing. He's saying works are, 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 are the evidence that you have faith. Okay? So, so we're saved not by our works, but, but by genuine trust, dependence, faith 
in the work of God on our behalf. And that faith will will cause us to respond in obedience to God. So God reveals himself to Abraham, makes these enormous promises. Okay, so let's go back to Genesis 12. And then what happens? Okay, so he makes him these great promises. The next verse, okay, so verse 3, you know, uh, uh, in you all the families of those will be blessed. That's the end of the promises. The verse 4 says Abraham went as the Lord had told him. He got him. He, he left, okay? So Abraham leaves, okay? Uh, I think of it this way. Abraham has just been told, man, God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you this huge inheritance. It's in Canaan. And so Abraham's like, well, I got to get to Canaan, you know? I'm, I'm, God's given it. it I, I'm, I, I'm going to collect my inheritance, okay? He believes what God has told him, so he gets up and he goes. Okay, Hebrews, Hebrews confirms that very same thing. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, talking about Abraham, it says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to the place he was to receive an inheritance. And he went, not knowing where he was going, okay? So by faith he, he obeyed. Right? Inner conviction that resulted in a life of obedience. He's never seen the land. He's never been there. He's got no title deed, no real estate brochure. He just believes what God has said. He trusts God at his word. Okay, now, now let's go to Genesis 15. So that Genesis 12 is the initial uh, promises to Abraham. Genesis 15, he's older. Okay? He was 75 to begin with, and God's, he's got no son. They've tried their whole lives, their whole married life. Can't have a son. Sarah's barren. They're in their 70s. Now it's been years, and they still don't have one, even after the promise. And Abraham starts to get discouraged, okay? In Genesis 15, he's getting discouraged. He says in uh, verse 2, But Abraham said, O Lord God, what shall you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is my servant, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham, Abraham said, Behold, you, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And look at verse 4. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside. And he said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. That's, that's, what, that's what Paul is quoting, is that right there. Abraham's an old man. It's been years. Nothing's happened. You know, when you're in your 70s and you get told you're going to have a child, and then years go by and you still don't, <laughs> you know, with every year that goes by, you're like, okay, I must have misheard that, all right? Because, like, if it didn't happen right away, it's probably not going to happen. When you're living by faith, expect to have to wait on God, okay? We struggle with that, don't we? Like not, not, not having the immediacy of God's promises. You, you should not expect that, okay? Faith says, God, I'm holding on to you, and I'm convinced. No matter what, we'll talk about this more next week, no matter what's going on around me, I'm convinced that you... You will do what you've said you will do. And so when Abraham starts to, hey, maybe, maybe you met Eliezer, you know, I've got no son. God says, no, no, your very own son. And then he has him look up at the Milky Way. Man, I, I tell you what, isn't, isn't it awesome to look at the stars on a, on a dry, clear night? 
I, I remember uh, we were camping about 12,000 feet a few years back on a mountain lake, and I was sleeping with no tent, and I woke up in the middle of the night. And, man, I, I, they were so bright that it illuminated the, the side of the mountain. I mean, it was, it was just, I couldn't go back to sleep because it's like I couldn't shut my eyes on this deal. It's too awesome. Abraham sees that, and God says, this is what I'm promising you. Children, grandchildren, great descendants, multitudes. Hey, God makes big promises. You guys hear that? God makes big promises. Never do you want more than God promises. You always want less. I'm convinced of that. You know, I I think we always, we always, we always settle. You know, God God promises great big things, and and we always go after smaller things. Ephesians three twenty says this about our prayers. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. Far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. So this, this is the way God operates. He makes big promises and then he just leaves them hanging out there. And the question on you is, will you trust him? Will you, will you take him at his word? Will you base your life upon what he just said he's going to do? Your whole hope, will you rest all of that on him? Some of you are saying, well, God's never told me to look up at the stars and told me I'm going to have a family that size. And even, even if God did tell me that, that'd probably scare most of you, right? I mean, Americans are like the 2.2 kids per family, right? Anything above that, we're thinking, how am I going to pay for this, all right? That's not the way Abraham thought, all right? So has God not made us promises? Let, 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 me, let me take you, and again, I'm trying to condense things so we can just go quickly here. Let me take you through a little tour of John, okay? This is just the Gospel of John, all right? John 6, 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All right, he's talking about spiritual hunger, spiritual thirst. God is saying, Jesus is saying, I will meet your need in ways you cannot imagine. John 7, verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's talking about the spirit, okay? John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, I have come, uh, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 11, 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John chapter uh, 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's just a little sliver of John. I I mean, God is doing this all the time, is he not? He's promising to be everything that you need, to be to you all that you need. And then the question on us is, will you look to him alone? Will you rest your weight upon him? Will you trust him? Abraham simply believes. With skin on it, it's clear. 
He gets up, he packs up, he goes, he's going to Canaan. That's where the inheritance is. Okay? He's responding in faith. He's living according to God's promise. Think about this. Consider for a moment whether you can be a person of faith without having a promise from God. The reason I bring that up is because I, uh, TV is where I see this a bunch. I, I see people talking about faith without any objective reality behind it. You know, it's like, I, I just believe, you know. I'm going uh, to be an NFL quarterback someday. I just believe it. You know, what, what objective reality do I have that would cause me to embrace that, you know? None, right? Not, none physically, obviously. None age-wise. None, I mean, there's, there's no evidence proof, okay? But you say, well, faith doesn't need that. Okay, but faith does need something to anchor it. It's faith in something, all right? And God has not told me I'll play in the NFL. He's never, he's never told me that. And I, I hear people using faith in that way. It's like whatever I want. It's like a wish list. Right? That's not faith. Faith has to be anchored in an objective reality. And, and, and biblical faith is anchored, anchored in who God is, what He has said, what He said He will do. Okay, now, I, I do think that we can, we can be people of faith even if we don't have a specific promise concerning something. Okay, let me give you an example. I'm going to India soon. I have no specific word from God that everything will be great. I, I just, I don't. God's not told me in a dream, you know, hey, everything's going to be great. It's all going to be great. Good, trip's going to go perfect, Okay. But I, but I do have a word in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, that says, Go make disciples of all nations. Okay? Remember that? Behold, I'll, I'll, and, and it says at the end of that passage, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right? So I do have a, a biblical, rock-solid conviction that God will be with me. Okay? I have no specific word about things going smoothly. But Romans 8, 28 says that God works out together all things together for good to those who love him. You know, so I, I do have these, these anchors, these promises in God's word about who he is and what he's doing in the world and what he's doing in me. Faith has to be anchored. That's, that's why 1 Corinthians 15, I don't know if you're familiar with this passage, but 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul's discussing the resurrection. And he says this, he says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then everything you believe is, 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 is worthless. Why? Because we would have a dead Jesus, right? And a dead Jesus cannot, cannot, cannot deliver on any of the promises of this book. But, but we don't have a dead Jesus. We, we have an unstoppable Jesus who crushed sin and obliterated the grave and conquered death and lives, according to Hebrews, by the power of an indestructible life. And so because of that, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus, right? That's, that's Corinthians tells us that. They're all, yeah, I mean, they, they all come about in Christ, all right? We get a full confidence in Jesus. All right, real quickly, finishing this up. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, that word counted means reckoned or imputed. It's a banking term that means to put in one's account, all right? We... This is, a, this is a neat illustration for me because it happens all the time. Uh, when I pull up my online banking, I have my checking and my savings, but then I also have Hannah's checking and Hannah's savings and Addie's checking and Addie's savings and, and Haddon's savings and, and Avery's. and uh, They're all right there, right? And, and you know what happens a lot? What happens a lot is 
money gets imputed to their account that they did not earn or put in there, all right? You know, that's been happening with Hannah a lot lately, you know? I mean, so money gets imputed. It gets changed over, all right? It didn't earn. It's not hers, but it gets placed in her account by somebody else. That's what happened to Abraham. He believes God, and God puts righteousness that's not his own in his account. It's the righteousness of Jesus, of, of the one who's coming, of the promise that he made to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. How is that going to happen? The Messiah, Jesus, that's how it's going to happen. Now, Paul's point, verse 4, is that this is not a work. This is depending on the work of Jesus. It's looking away from ourselves to the work of another. Okay, this, this is really important in the Bible. It ought to be really important to us. The Bible does not want us to boast, okay? Faith faith is the conduit. It's the pipeline through which the grace of God flows into your life. It's the transmission hooking the engine of God's salvation to the wheels of your life. And Romans 4.4 is very clear. You didn't deserve this. You didn't earn it. You don't have any leverage over God. God doesn't owe you anything. This is all by grace, Your salvation is not, you trusted God and you did these things and you look at other people and they didn't do those things so you think you're better. No, 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 no. It's it's based on a God who justifies the ungodly. You see that in verse five? To the one who does not work but trusts him who justifies the ungodly. That's us. His faith is counted as righteousness. Abraham knew I don't deserve this. I don't deserve these promises. I didn't, I didn't earn him. I didn't work for him. God's awesome. He's the kind of God that gives what we don't deserve. And faith is what joins us to that God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for, um, thank you for your work on our behalf. Jesus, you have done all that is needed for us to be right with you, for us to be justified, for us to be ransomed, for us to be redeemed, for us to be forgiven, for us to go to heaven. Lord, you, you have done that. You have accomplished that. Lord Jesus, we look to you. We embrace you for that today. And Lord, we know it doesn't stop there. Father, you've done all that is necessary for us to be satisfied, for us to have life and have it abundantly, for us to, to have resurrection, for us to, to be satisfied, to be filled up. And so, Father, we look to you today. We grab onto you by faith. And God puts skin on our faith, Lord, so that it's, it's visible. We can see it in our lives. Father, help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.